Live Action's new investigative video exposes the historic connection between the abortion pill and Nazis, eugenicists, and Chinese communists. Since we're being told we must cancel, destroy, or remove any entity, symbol, or reminder of the most repugnant aspects of American history, I suggest we immediately cancel the abortion pill and everyone involved with it. While a federal judge acts as an abortion activist and rules in favor of expanding abortion pills via telemedicine in direct violation of FDA regulations, the pro-life movement is fighting back to protect women, children, and families. All this and more, I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted. Welcome to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. Thank you for tuning in today. We got a lot to talk about today, and I'm going to be making a direct call on the left uh, to be consistent in their cancellation of repugnant aspects of American society. But of course, uh, we're not holding our breath on that type of consistency, are we? We need to cancel the abortion pill. Live Action's new investigative video exposes an unbelievable amount of bigotry wrapped up in the history, the founding of the abortion pill and those involved with it. And I've been told that any time there's a troubling, bigoted, racial aspect of an entity's or institution's founding, then the whole thing's rotten all the way through and it needs to come down. Well, we need to cancel the abortion pill. But before we get to live action's new investigative video and report on the troubling past and the troubling history of the abortion pill, I want to update you exactly on what the abortion pill is and does, because some of you may be new listeners to the podcast. We've talked about it before, but I want to update you. There's a lot to know here, and you need to know it because this is the new horizon of the abortion industry, okay? This is the push right now, and COVID-19 just happens to be a very convenient political tool and strategy to use to justify the argument for abortion pills via telemedicine, meaning no in-person evaluations. You can ship abortion pill directly to young women because you can say, we don't want them to go and get COVID, risk getting sick while going to the doctor's office to get their abortion pill. So all of this is political and it's becoming a political strategy and tool to justify these draconian pushes against the FDA by the abortion industry to move into telemedicine abortion pills, okay? So you need to know exactly what is involved with the abortion pill. How does the abortion pill work? Well, the abortion pill, otherwise known as RU486, is actually a two-regimen uh, two pill, right? You actually take two in the process of killing and dispelling your dead baby. And the abortion pill has taken up to 10 weeks gestation. The two medications are mifepristone or mifeprex and misoprostol, okay? So, so mifepristone is the pill that you would typically take at the abortion clinic um, if the abortion industry doesn't have their way in sending it directly to your daughter's dorm room. You would show up, you would take it at the abortion clinic, then you would go home, and over a one or two day period, your baby would be starved to death. You see, mifepristone blocks the hormone progesterone, which stabilizes the lining of the uterus. So without progesterone, the lining of the uterus breaks down, cutting off blood and nourishment to your child, who is slowly starved to death. Then, after that happens, you take misoprostol at home, by the way, without doctor supervision, or oversight without going back to the abortion clinic. You take that at home and misoprostol forces your uterus to have early contractions to dispel your dead baby. And they recommend that you do that into the toilet and they say flush and don't look. Okay, so that is the abortion pill. 
What do you need to know about the abortion pill? Well, the FDA reports that risk and effects include abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, headaches, heavy bleeding, even maternal death. In fact, according to the FDA, 24 women have died taking RU486 since about 2000. Average bleeding lasts 9 to 16 days, and 8% of women will endure bleeding more than 30 days. That's pretty gnarly. That's not good for women's health. And then in 2017, the abortion pill accounted for 40% of all abortions. So there you have it. Think about what that figure means to the abortion industry. One type of abortion that you can manufacture at low cost and sell at high margins is encroaching on half of the annual abortions in America. So there is a financial incentive for the abortion industry to push the abortion pill, which what? Cuts out brick-and-mortar abortion clinics, eliminates the need to pay abortionists because the pill is the abortionist. You don't have to pay abortion clinic staff because you don't have to operate as many surgical abortion clinics. It removes the need to pay the dead baby disposal companies that have to come and, and ship out all of the dead limbs that collect in waste containment boxes. And it's cheap to manufacture and sell at high margins. See, this is the push now by the abortion industry. And then... According to a 2000 Oxford University Press study, the average failure rate of a medication abortion of RU486 is 8%. Okay, now that's not an 8% failure rate to kill your baby. Unless you're injected with progesterone with the abortion reversal pill, then the abortion pill will probably kill your baby. The 8% failure rate is to adequately dispel your dead baby via misoprostol. So that means that, that translates, by the way, to about 1 in 12 women. 8% is about 1 in 12 women will have an unsuccessful medication abortion. So they'll be walking around with a dead baby in their uterus, being susceptible to sepsis, other times other forms of infection, and death. And it requires her to go back in and get a surgical abortion, which has its own risks as well. Of course, you're not going to hear that from the abortion industry. They're not going to acknowledge that. And in fact, they're just going to blatantly lie about it. That's why Cecile Richards, the former president of Planned Parenthood, said in a Los Angeles Times opinion editorial a few years ago that the medication abortion pill was safer than Tylenol, safer than painkillers. Ridiculous. So given all of these health concerns, the FDA has certain regulations in place that while they still allow the sale and dissemination of the abortion pill, they put certain procedures in place to protect the health of women. Okay, So under the FDA's risk evaluation and mitigation strategy, otherwise known as the REMS requirement, the abortion pill can only be dispensed by a clinician in an approved hospital or clinic after an in-person visit. And that in-person visit entails an ultrasound to gauge the gestational age of the pregnancy, of the baby. Okay, so why is that important? Why would the FDA require that? Two reasons, and we talked about this on a recent episode, two reasons why that is important and why every pro-choice individual should get behind that because they claim to care about the health of women. Here are those reasons. Firstly, without properly dating the pregnancy, how far along she is since her last menstrual cycle, last menstrual period, women are put at huge risk for incomplete abortions. And I, I talked to OBGYN friends of mine, and I've been told that many women date their pregnancies wrong. No, not all of them, but one friend of mine, he's an OBGYN in Nashville, says that uh, close to 40% of his patients in a nine-month cycle period, or about 40, they were about 40% of them were anywhere from two to six, seven weeks off of their gestational age of the baby. So if you take the abortion pill thinking that you're 
nine weeks pregnant because the pill is taken through 10 weeks, but you're really 12 or 13 weeks, that could lead to an incomplete abortion, which um, has significant health ramifications for the woman as well because the abortion pill is only intended to be taken through 10 weeks. So the risk for incomplete abortions increases with the gestational age of the baby. That's the first reason why an ultrasound and in-person evaluation is necessary and important before prescribing and giving the abortion pill to women. Secondly, without performing that ultrasound before prescribing the abortion pill, you couldn't know if a woman had an ectopic pregnancy, right? An ectopic pregnancy is when rather than traveling the entire length of the fallopian tube and implanting in the uterine wall, that baby implants in the fallopian tube. And so as the baby begins to grow, it stretches and expands the fallopian tube and left untreated, the fallopian tube bursts and mom and baby die. Okay, well, that that's important to know because you would have to know that to act appropriately beforehand to ensure that it doesn't rupture her fallopian tube and take the mother's life. You have to perform an ultrasound to properly diagnose an ectopic pregnancy. So left unaddressed, an ectopic pregnancy can and often does take a woman's life. And taking the abortion pill with an ectopic pregnancy can also be life-threatening. But you won't know that if the abortion industry has their way in pressuring the FDA to completely remove the requirement of in-person evaluations, which includes this ultrasound. Okay. Does that make sense? So that's, that's the background of what the abortion pill is and what you need to know about it. And I'd encourage you to share this episode with friends in your life, pro-choice friends in your life and family members who are not going to hear this information from the mainstream media, and then go encourage them to fact check you and me. And of course we have all the sources for the FDA statistics that I cited to you in the YouTube version. Well, actually, we actually have those screenshots up for you. So what is the story behind the abortion pill? Live Action's new investigative report dropping some bombshells that some pro-lifers have known for a while, but compiling all of that information and more so that the American public has information to the very troubling history and the very troubling racial bigoted history of the abortion pill. So Live Action's new investigative report is called Abortion Pill Kills, and they're reporting, of course, on what no one else will on the abortion pill. The first thing you need to know, and we're going to show you a short video clip from their video, is that the same people who created the poison to kill babies through the abortion pill created the poison to kill Jews in the Holocaust and gas them with a gas called Zyklon. So here's a short clip from their investigative video. The abortion pill was developed by French endocrinologist Etienne-Emile Beaulieu. He had been a fellow researcher of Gregory Pincus, an early developer of the birth control pill. And in the 80s, Beaulieu worked as a consultant for the French pharmaceutical giant Roussel Uclaf. It was for Roussel that Beaulieu developed what we now call Mifeprex, though it was originally labeled RU486, the RU for Roussel Uclaf and 486 for the drug's serial number. In 1988, RU486 was approved for marketing in France, but Roussel faced severe public backlash because of opposition to abortion and because Roussel had another moral atrocity already in its wake. Roussel's majority shareholder was a company called Hoekst AG, which had emerged from the breakup of the German chemical company IG Farben. IG Farben was famous for manufacturing a cyanide gas known as Zyklon B, used in the gas chambers of the Nazi death camps during the Holocaust. As reported by the New York Times, IG Farben played so important a role in Hitler's war machine and in the Holocaust that it came to be called the devil's chemist. In addition to developing the gas chamber poison, IG Farben factories exploited more than 35,000 slave laborers, many from Auschwitz. It even built a concentration camp of its own to improve efficiency. Pro-lifers immediately called out Hookst and Roussel for creating poison to kill babies in the same way it had created poison to kill Jews. 
well, well, well. <laughs> Unreal. You think you'll ever hear a New York Times report on that, by the way? Anything from ABC, CBS? Of course not. So this French endocrinologist in the 1980s was employed, was paid by the French company Roussel Ouclaf, the R and the U standing eventually for RU486, the abortion pill. The majority shareholder of Roussel Ouclaf was Hooks AG. Hooks AG was initially called IG Farben. And the New York Times reported years ago that IG Farben played such a vital role in gassing Jews that it was called the devil's chemist. Okay? <laughs> so the majority shareholder of the company that developed the abortion pill was initially the company that created the gas to kill Jews in the Holocaust. Lovely. Now, I've been informed by a very objective media that if something has bigoted roots, then the entire institution or system can be called into question or shut down, right? That's, I mean, that's the entire narrative behind the New York Times 1619 project, right? Was that America was actually not founded in 1776 on a, this idea of natural rights and natural law principles. No, no, that's not our founding. Instead, it was founded in 1619 when the first slaves hit American shores. Their claim is that that is our genesis. That's actually the true realization of who America is. That is what represents who we are, and we cannot escape that legacy. However, something tells me that our objective media and the woke progressives who run them won't be calling for a cancellation of the abortion pill due to its genesis in the Nazi movement, for goodness sakes. <laughs> that's like the worst thing to be called that, except a racist. I know, I mean, everyone lives in so much fear of being called a racist that uh, they're not even going to say things that aren't racist but are perceived as racist by the left because they don't want to be labeled a racist. But the next worst thing would be being called a Nazi. It's, it's, like, it's like at least the universal thing that most of us can still condemn regardless of political partisanship. Obviously, that and, of course, racism. The, the genesis of the abortion pill was in the Nazi movement, for goodness sake. The same people who created the poison to kill babies through the abortion pill created the poison to kill Jews in the Holocaust. Now, maybe you say, well, come on, Seth, that was a long time ago, right? That wasn't even in America. Today, the abortion pill is manufactured to help women have access to the full range of reproductive health care. <laughs> you know, it's a... The American uh, roots of the abortion pill, it, that's dis disconnected. It's separate from maybe the people who initially invented it. So how did the abortion pill come to America then? Well, in 1993, on the 20th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, Bill Clinton signed an executive order to bring the RU486 abortion pill to the U.S. And he did this like on the second day of his presidency or something like that, just showing how committed he was to killing babies from the moment he entered the White House. But the bigotry of the abortion pill's genesis continued, and it simply shifted from roots in Nazism to eugenics, which one can easily argue is actually the ideological father of Nazism. Nazism is based on eugenic principles. So the abortion pill comes to America and ends up having roots in the American eugenics movement. And we're going to get to that in just one second. But first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the pro-life movement, if you want to help us reach more people, especially during a time where uh, pro-life speakers like myself are having a lot of events canceled, we're not able to do as many in-person events. So we're trying to create better online content, digital content to reach people with the truth about abortion and with pro-life ideas. And that's what this podcast is aimed at doing. So if you want to help us do that, consider 
consider becoming a patron of the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. We have a bunch of tiers up there now that just kind of provide some fun community perks for you that you'll only have access to if you're a patron at a certain uh, monthly dollar amount. So we have a 5, 10, uh, 30, and of course it just goes up from there. So continue, uh, consider becoming a patron of the show. It really helps us. We need your help during this very important time in the culture wars, in the abortion wars, to reach people with these pro-life ideas. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome back to the show. So let's say someone tells you, okay, well, I mean, that's a little bit troubling. You know, the same people who created the gas and the Holocaust to kill Jews, creating poison to kill babies. But, you know, I'm pro-choice and, you know, I don't like that they created gas to kill Jews. But, you know, that's really beside the point. We're talking about the American pro-choice movement. Not a big deal. We don't have any links to that today. And the abortion pill has helped women get rid of their early pregnancies before the baby's a person or can feel any pain. And that's a good thing. And that creates equality with men. Except the troubling aspects of the abortion pill's bigotry continued when it hit American shores after Bill Clinton brought it here in 1993. It simply moved from roots in Nazism to roots in eugenics, which is the ideological father of Nazism. So the Population Council, whose roots run very deep in the American eugenics movement, became responsible for the manufacturing and distribution of the abortion pill in America. So here's another short clip from my live action's investigative video. In 1994, in exchange for product liability immunity, Roussel donated its rights to manufacture, market, and distribute RU-486 in the U.S. to the Population Council. The Population Council says its goal is to help achieve a humane, equitable, and sustainable balance between people and resources. In reality, the Population Council has deep roots in the American eugenics movement. Eugenics is the use of selective breeding as an attempt to improve the genetic quality of the human population, either by encouraging populations deemed superior to have more children or stopping those deemed inferior from having children. The Population Council was founded by John D. Rockefeller III in 1952, and today is funded in part by Bill and Melinda Gates, who gave over $11 million to the Population Council between 2018 and 2020 through the Gates Foundation. A prominent eugenicist named Frederick Osborne succeeded Rockefeller as president of the Population Council. Osborne once said, birth control and abortion are turning out to be the great eugenic advances of our time. Like Osborne, his successor, Frank W. Notstein, was also a member of the American Eugenics Society. His successor, Bernard Berylson, once suggested that if voluntary birth control methods were unsuccessful, the government should place a fertility control agent in the water supply of urban neighborhoods. Alan Guttmacher, founder of the Guttmacher Institute and longtime president of Planned Parenthood and vice president of the American Eugenics Society, sat on the Population Council's first medical advisory board. The Population Council launched the clinical trials needed for FDA approval. Well, 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 a bunch of eugenicists that at least are mostly condemned by American society today, even on the left, were those involved in the America's genesis of the abortion pill. The bigotry just continues. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting that if you accept the bigotry that some humans are not persons, you'll also accept bigotry to utilize abortion to uh, rid the world of those that you deem unfit to live. Interesting how ideas tend to have consequences, and those who hold those ideas tend to uh, 
consistently apply those in a way that attacks innocent human beings who have done nothing so that these individuals can create their utopia where the strong survive and thrive while eliminating the weak. There's the history of the abortion pill in America. So just to briefly summarize what you just heard, right? Rusal Uklaf, right, who, who created the abortion pill and employed that French endocrinologist to do it, donated its rights to manufacture, market, and distribute the abortion pill to the Population Council, whose first four presidents were out-and-out out eugenicists. <laughs> One of them was a member of the American Eugenic Society, and the other, uh, or at least uh, Alan Guttmacher, was, uh, while not one of the presidents of the Population Council, sat on the medical board of the Population Council and was the vice president of the American Eugenics Society. One of the presidents of the Population Council suggested, as the video said, that if voluntary birth control could not be used to decrease the population, then maybe we should put a fertility control agent in the waters in, uh, of urban neighborhoods. That's a euphemism for causing women to become infertile and forcibly sterilizing them by putting an agent into the water that they drink. These were the people who helped found and run the first several years of the population council. Interesting. And they all wished to utilize the abortion pill to weed out undesirables. And today the population council is funded in large part by people like Bill and Melinda Gates. So if you thought the historical connection between the abortion pill and Nazism was bad – just wait. <laughs> Adolf Hitler, okay, based much of his eugenic legislation on the quote-unquote advances in eugenics happening in America. The American eugenics movement, folks, provided the inspiration for Hitler's policies. Let's put it that way. Adolf Hitler practically worshipped Madison Grant, one of the founders of the American Eugenics Society, and Leon Whitney, the executive secretary of the American Eugenics society, okay? In 1924, Adolf Hitler was sitting in prison uh, as, a, as a German corporal because uh, he had participated in a, a failed coup attempt in Munich. While in prison, Adolf Hitler began poring over the writings of American eugenicists, particularly of Madison Grant, who I just mentioned, the founder of the American Eugenic Society. Madison Grant wrote a book in 1916 called The Passing of the Great Race, which Hitler was, was uh, passionately reading in his jail cell in 1924. Here is one line or two from The Passing of the Great Race. Quote, mistaken regard for what are believed to be divine laws and a sentimental belief in the sanctity of human life tend to prevent both the elimination of defective infants and the sterilization of such adults as are themselves of no value to the community. The laws of nature require the obliteration of the unfit, and human life is valuable only when it is of use to the community or race. This is the idea of functionalism, folks, which is typically used as a cudgel by the powerful to deny the right to life to the weak, to say you don't meet the functions and capacities that I demand you meet to be as valuable as I am as I sit on high and deify myself into a modern god and decide who lives and who dies. This is the eugenics bigotry of Madison Grant the founder of the American Eugenics Society, literally saying that this silly, silly idea of the sanctity of human life prevents the elimination of defective individuals and the sterilizations of adults that we don't want reproducing. Lovely. So while in jail, Hitler wrote fan mail 
to both Leon Whitney, the executive secretary of the American Eugenics Society, and Madison Grant. And he called Madison Grant's book that we just quoted from, quote, his Bible. Hitler called this American eugenics book his Bible, basing his entire eugenics legislation on the, the advances in the American eugenics movement, okay? Here's some of the more bigotry connecting American eugenics with the Nazis, with the abortion pill. Edwin Black, uh, author and columnist, wrote a 2004 piece at The Guardian entitled, entitled Hitler's Debt to America, right? His, his debt to America for his German eugenics legislation. He says in this piece, quote, most of all, American raceologists were proud to have inspired the strictly eugenic state the Nazis were constructing. In those early years of the Third Reich, Hitler and his race hygienicists carefully crafted eugenic legislation modeled on laws already introduced across America and upheld by the Supreme Court. Nazi doctors and even Hitler himself regularly communicated with American eugenicists from New York to California, ensuring that Germany would scrupulously follow the path blazed by the U.S. American eugenicists were eager to assist. <laughs> wow. And then, of course, there's a the whole part about Planned Parenthood being founded by racists and eugenicists who uh, Hitler kind of looked up to and wished to emulate. <laughs> we don't have a ton of time to get into that, but we've talked about the bigotry of Planned Parenthood's founding as well. Well, Edwin Black, the columnist I just quoted to you, also wrote a 2004 book entitled War Against the Weak, War Against the Weak, this idea of eugenics. And he documents in that book, folks, how the Nazi sterilization law of, 19, of 1933 and the subsequent Nazi euthanasia laws were both based on blueprints based on blueprints drawn up by Margaret Sanger and other American eugenicists. So the founder of Planned Parenthood not only provided some of the inspiration, but provided some of the legislative blueprints for what became Nazi eugenics German legislation and policy. <laughs> but you're not going to hear about any of this historical bigotry, are you? Or uh, the bigotry and the genesis and foundation of the abortion pill in the abortion industry. Okay, so what happens after the Population Council gains the right to manufacture and sell the abortion pill in the U.S.? I've told you about the links between the Population Council and the American Eugenics Society and how they assisted the Nazis. But what happens? So 1993, Bill Clinton signs, signs this uh, executive order bringing the abortion pill to the U.S. Well, Live Action reports in their report, when the Population Council couldn't find a single American pharmaceutical company to research and manufacture the abortion pill, abortion activists helped launch Danko Laboratories in 1995. Okay, this is important. Danko Laboratories is launched in 1995 as a single product company of confidential investors formed with the express purpose of manufacturing and distributing the abortion pill in the U.S. market, okay, because the Population Council couldn't find an American pharmaceutical company who wanted to do that. So Live Action reports that the Dinkel Laboratories has been clouded in secrecy since its inception and is funded by American billionaires and likely tied directly to the Chinese Communist Party. Live Action has a new video out actually on how American billionaires have been the largest financiers of the abortion industry and of the abortion pill, and you should go watch that clip. So here's another short clip, though, of now the historic links between the abortion pill and American billionaires and very likely the Chinese Communist Party. 
the one of the most evil communist regimes in modern history responsible for millions of forced abortions. Here you go. In 1996, the David and Lucille Packard Foundation gave Danko a $14 million loan to bring it onto the U.S. market. Other early Danko investors included the Open Society Foundation, founded by George Soros, the Buffett Foundation, founded by Warren Buffett, and the Kaiser Family Foundation. Danko Laboratories was originally chartered offshore in the Grand Cayman Islands, but remains cloaked in secrecy. And to this day, the FDA has not disclosed the identity or location of Danko's manufacturer. Danko still refuses to identify its current executives or its investors. In 2000, it was reported that Danko's manufacturer was Chinese pharmaceutical company Hualin, which was nationalized by the Chinese Communist Party in 1949. China's communist regime was one of the first nations in the world to approve the abortion pill in 1988. This is the same regime that imposed a monstrous one-child policy resulting in millions of forced abortions in China. This means that Danko could still be flooding lethal abortion drugs into the U.S. through a pharmaceutical company owned by the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> Unreal. I mean, th these these are th these are bombshells of a of a of a level that would be dominating the news cycle if our media weren't all partisan hacks who serve at the beck and call of the Democratic Party, <laughs> right? Like if this were any other institution besides the abortion industry who had all of these roots with communism, with eugenics, with the Nazis, that would be dominating the CNN chirons. But because it's the abortion industry, uh, you're not going to hear about it from any other organization than very conservative news sources or, of course, pro-life organizations like Live Action. So let me just summarize what you just heard. In 2000, the Wall Street Journal reported that Danko's manufacturer was actually the Chinese pharmaceutical company, Hualin Pharmaceutical, nationalized by the Chinese Communist Party in 1949, which means that they, they are dominated and controlled by the communists. So this means that Danko Laboratories could be flooding lethal abortion drugs that kill babies and wound women into the U.S. through a pharmaceutical company owned by the Chinese Communist Party, which is responsible for millions of forced abortions and millions of forced sterilizations. Unbelievable. So what does all this mean? Well, firstly, it means that cancel culture is just a bunch of BS, doesn't it? <laughs> because if you're not willing to consistently apply the standard that institutions and systems that have bigotry in their inception ought to be torn down, but you just use it as a political cudgel to attack your political opponents, then you're just a hack who doesn't care about a bigotry at all. You just care about attacking institutions founded on bigotry that serve you politically to do so. It's just a political cudgel to attack your opponents. The abortion industry, Planned Parenthood, and in this case, the history of the abortion pill is rotten with racism, eugenics, and white supremacy. However, not every institution and system that reminds of, of, of historical bigotry ought to be canceled, I guess. Just the institutions the left doesn't like. So this firstly means that cancel culture is a bunch of BS. It's not being controlled or encouraged by people of good faith who are concerned about creating a more equitable society. It's not. It's being used as a political cudgel. Secondly, it means that that the left and the pro-abortion movement don't give two bleeps about the women whose freedoms and liberties they claim to defend. I mean, that's the pitch of the abortion industry, right? We're about reproductive health care. Abortion is health care. This is about women's equality. Women can't be burdened by the reproductive system that God gave them because then they might have to be a mother and then they won't be able to compete with men in the workplace, right? 
That, that, that's what their claim is, that they're, they're defending women's liberties and freedoms. But this shows that this is not about that at all. They're more than happy to turn a blind eye to the health risks associated with the abortion pill, sometimes which take women's lives, and the historical bigotry of the abortion pill's genesis in order to make a quick buck, in order to increase the sale of the abortion pill and sell the rotten fruit of the sexual revolution, which suggests that women need the freedom to kill their own children in order to enjoy sex without responsibility and throw off the shackles of female reproduction in order to obtain true equality with men. It means that the very women the abortion industry claim to serve and whose rights they claim to protect end up becoming pawns in their game to secure the right to increase their sales of abortion. The very women they claim to serve they're willing to sacrifice on the altar of sexual libertinism and abortion ideology. That's what that means. So we're going to get to more of this political posturing by the abortion industry to push into the market of telemedicine abortions, which would remove the need to show up and have an in-person evaluation and ultrasound to protect the health of women before you get the abortion pill. They want to get rid of all of that. We're going to get to that in just one second. But first... Um, I have an exciting announcement for you. My university speaking tour this school year is entitled The Myth of the Pro-Choice Feminist, which is uh, kind of a lot what we've been talking about recently, this idea that you can't be a pro-choice feminist because feminism protects the rights of all women, including unborn women. We're going to examine the history of the women's movement and the sexual revolution, and we will discover how the two of those got in bed with each other and the damage that their infidelity wrought on women, families, and pre-born children. Now, obviously, some of these bookings might be difficult in the fall because of COVID and these draconian policies, but we'll be going across the country. Uh, religious schools will have a better time booking me because they'll be staying open and then maybe some of the UCs as well. So for questions and bookings, email me at seth at sethgruber.com. That's seth at sethgruber.com or contact me through social media for more questions. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. <laughs> Welcome back to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. So we are going to examine the weaponization of COVID-19 by the abortion industry in order to achieve that which they have always wanted, which is telemedicine abortions and the dutiful service of a federal judge to the abortion industry in suspending the rule requiring women during COVID to visit a hospital or clinic in order to receive the abortion pill. They're going obviously to turn a blind eye and ignore all the health, health risks associated with the abortion pill. They're going to completely ignore the bigoted history of the abortion pill and its genesis, and they're going to use COVID-19 and the government shutdowns as a political opportunity to push telemedicine abortions, to literally ship the abortion pill without any in-person evaluation or ultrasound directly to America's women. <clears throat> and the abortion industry is doing everything they can to convince the public that the abortion pill is safe. They have to, right? They're not going to acknowledge all these health risks involved with it and still go forward with their pitch. They're going <clears> to <throat> ignore those health risks and try to convince people that it's safe despite the fact that it kills little humans in the womb and is dangerous for the women taking it as well. Live Action points out in their abortion pill kills investigation some very troubling news regarding the financiers of the abortion pill who end up, turn, turns out, are the same financiers of the studies trying to prove that the abortion pill is safe. So the sources abortion activists cite to argue that the abortion pill is safe 
including the pro-abortion journal Contraception and Genuity Health Projects, who conducts the clinical trials in the abortion pill, are both funded by David and Lucille Packard Foundation, right? Of Hewlett Packard, HP, David and Lucille Packard, one of the major financiers behind Danko Laboratories that is responsible for the dissemination of the abortion pill in America. It is obviously a major conflict of interest, as Live Action reports, that the major financiers behind the manufacturing of the abortion pill would also be funding the studies and clinical trials that seek to show that the abortion pill is safe. That's a major conflict of interest because then you're going to be incentivized to avoid the highest standards of research and twist data, twist research, turn a blind eye to data you don't like in order to get that message out to the American public that the abortion pill is just as safe as ibuprofen, as Cecile Richards once said. So these clinical trials are justified. In fact, now we're justified to demand that the FDA remove their REMS requirement so that we can ship the abortion pill directly to young women. women. Now, in this show, we've covered just a handful of the articles from mainstream media outlets throughout COVID-19 that were helping push this abortion industry narrative and demanding that the FDA lift their REM requirements. And the abortion industry and their political and media serviles made the argument that the FDA restrictions were unnecessary, right? We covered a New York Times article a few weeks ago, literally saying this exactly. Just, just parroting abortion propaganda that the FDA restrictions were unnecessary and that women were being actually, quote unquote, harmed. They were being harmed because of their lack of access to medication abortion during COVID-19, which is a hell of a sell, man. That is some linguistic gymnastics. There's literally nothing true about that sentence, about that pitch from the abortion industry. In reality, removing the FDA restrictions, which help guarantee the health of women, Removing those and just shipping the abortion pill to young women actually does harm women and puts them at risk because you can't diagnose the gestational age of the pregnancy, which could lead to incomplete abortions through the abortion pill. And you can't diagnose possible ectopic pregnancies, which could literally lead to dead young women because you didn't uh, get on board with the FDA's REMS requirement that would have caught that ectopic pregnancy and prevented her from taking the abortion pill. <laughs> so the complete opposite is true of what the media and the abortion industry have been pitching and lying to you by saying that these restrictions are unnecessary. And by the way, how ironic is it, right? The abortion industry lectures us about how deeply they care about the life and health of women that they claim to serve, that they exist to serve. But when they have the opportunity to transform their industry to a telemedicine abortion model with massive profit potential, they don't hesitate to sacrifice the health and lives of women, many of whom will have unsuccessful abortions, making them susceptible to infection and death, and others who will have undiagnosed ectopic pregnancies thanks to the industry's call to eliminate ultrasound evaluations prior to prescribing the abortion pill. Unbelievable. So, ABC reported on July 13th that a federal judge just recently suspended the rule requiring women during COVID-19 to visit a hospital or clinic or medical office to obtain the abortion pill. This is very bad news for women that, I mean, pro-choice and pro-lifers ought to get on board with caring about and their unborn children. This U.S. district judge by the name of Theodore Huang just completely uh, goes around the FDA restrictions and, uh, and, and shuts down this lawsuit so that the abortion industry can just begin shipping telemedicine abortion pills without any in-person evaluation. So according to ABC News, this district judge in Maryland concluded that, quote, in-person requirements for patients seeking medication abortion care, abortion care, impose a, quote, substantial obstacle 
to abortion patients and are likely unconstitutional under the circumstances of the pandemic. He continues and says, particularly in light of the limited time frame during which a medication or abortion or any abortion must occur, such infringement on the right to an abortion would constitute irreparable harm, the judge wrote. Irreparable harm. My goodness, what bigotry. What bold-faced bigotry to suggest that ir irreparable harm is actually if you can't kill your baby in the first 10 weeks with a poison created by the same people who created poisons to gas Jews. And you might have to get a surgical abortion by tearing the limbs off of your child. And if you have to wait too long after that, oh, you might have to become a mother. You might have to give birth to the child that you probably, probably consensually created. That's what irreparable harm is, according to the abortion industry. What bigotry. This article continues and says his ruling will allow healthcare providers to arrange for mifepristone to be mailed or delivered to patients during the public health emergency declared by the secretary of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services by causing certain patients <clears throat> to decide between foregoing or substantially delaying abortion care or risking exposure to COVID-19 for themselves, their children, and family members, the in-person requirements present a serious burden to many abortion patients, Huang wrote. And now he's completely overlooking the fact that the only abortion patient is the unborn child, the patient who's murdered. Women are not abortion patients, okay? They're not. And they're not treated like patients by anyone in the abortion industry, according to the Hippocratic Oath. We, we've been told that abortion doctors are doctors, and so they're violating their Hippocratic Oath every time they walk in to their clinic and they murder the patients whose mothers take them in for an abortion. The unborn child is the patient in an abortion and they're the ones that are murdered. But his pitch here, right? This is his linguistic gymnastics that he is performing for the abortion industry in order to deceive the American public that by risking exposure to COVID, by going to an in-person evaluation, to get an ultrasound, to better take care of women's lives before they're given the abortion pill is going to do irreparable harm and present a serious burden. No, the only burden is the burden that the child has to bear as his mother or father juggle their life in their hands. That's the only burden going on here. But this federal judge suspended the rule requiring women to have this in-person evaluation before getting the abortion pill. It takes a whole new level of confirmation bias and political partisanship to ignore the data from the FDA as a pro-choice individual and still stump for telemedicine abortions, willfully endangering the health and lives of women that you claim to care and wake up to serve. It's disgusting and it's unbelievable. So how do we fight back to this rank partisanship, to this bigotry that is based on historical bigotry and eugenics of the abortion pill. Well, Live Action News, uh, according to Live Action News on July 28th, they, they wrote a great piece called FDA Files Appeal After Judge Suspends Abortion Pill Safety Rules During COVID-19. So the FDA is actually fighting back a little bit. According to the article, the FDA filed an appeal against that decision by that federal judge, arguing that it would be more dangerous for women to have the in-person evaluation requirement overturned. Yes, duh. That is acknowledging reality. Defendants will also suffer ir irreparable harm in the absence of a stay because they will be unable to enforce requirements that FDA has determined, based on its experience and scientific expertise, are necessary to ensure safe use of Mifeprex, which, I mean, just that is a little bit of euphemistic uh, 
gymnastics right there. There's no safe use of a poison that kills children. Okay, that's like calling child abuse safe. Requiring patients to obtain Mifeprex at a clinic, as has been required for years, does not deprive women of the ability to make a decision to have an abortion. Yeah, duh. Of course, because they can choose to adopt the risk to go outside and get the abortion pill. And it's crazy that this this is coming from a media, right, insisting that you can't force women to expose themselves to COVID by going to an in-person evaluation with one other person, a doctor, who's probably wearing a surgical mask. I thought masks were supposed to be the magical fix. If we all wore them, no one would get COVID. And of course, if you're if you're rioting and pillaging and burning cities and trying to burn down federal buildings and you're not wearing a mask, it's fine. We're not going to condemn you. But that same media will condemn the FDA and the Trump administration for trying to enforce FDA regulations and restrictions that say women have to show up for an in-person evaluation, probably wearing a mask with one other person to have an ultrasound to ensure that they don't have an ectopic pregnancy and that they dated their pregnancy right so that they don't have an incomplete abortion or kill themselves with the abortion pill. All that is very, very bad. We can't have two people in the same room wearing a mask or an in-person person evaluation. It's ridiculous. And we're supposed to just we're supposed to just swallow this narrative wholesale by the media. So thank God for live action, their investigative report and their video. So live action takes it a step further to the most obvious demand, which is of course that we shouldn't be selling the abortion pill at all because it kills little humans and it and it uh, endangers the health and lives of women. According to Live Action News on July 28th, a uh, piece called Live Action Leads Pro-Life Coalition Asking FDA to Remove Dangerous Abortion Pill from the Market. It says, today, Live Action and a coalition of pro-life groups, including the Susan B. Anthony List, Students for Life of America, and the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, sent a letter to the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, calling on Commissioner Stephen Hahn to remove abortion pill Mifeprex, Mifepristone, and its approved generics from the U.S. market. The letter follows District Judge Theodore Huang's July 13th decision to suspend the FDA safety protocol on the drug during COVID-19, ruling that it is an undue burden to require women seeking the drug during the pandemic to obtain it at an in-person visit. The coalition letter, which points out that the abortion pill complication rates are four times higher than those of first trimester surgical abortions, and which calls the drug an imminent hazard to the public health, was also signed by the American College of Pediatricians, Samaritan's Purse, Heartbeat International, Heritage Action, and others. That is crazy right there. The abortion pill complication rates are four times higher than first trimester surgical abortions. But remember that lie by Cecile Richards in that Los Angeles Times opinion editorial several years ago, which has been parroted now by the media for years, which is that the abortion pill is safer than Tylenol. It's safer than ibuprofen. Unbelievable. So what can you do individually? Well, educate yourself. Go to liveaction.org uh, slash abortion pill kills and read their full investigative report and watch the full length video that we showed you clips of on the program today. Share their video and report with friends on social media. Ask a pro-choice friend to listen to this episode about the realities of the abortion pill that they're not going to hear anywhere else but live action and the historical bigotry of its genesis. And then you can sign a petition to ban the abortion pill on live action's website, which is going to go to the FDA as well. Now, speaking of fighting back, I want to finish with this. Senator Josh Hawley, uh, the Republican senator from Missouri, is finally flexing that conservative muscle that the country and our culture war is so in need of right now. According to National Review on July 27th by Brittany Bernstein, Senator Josh Hawley said Sunday that he would not support any Supreme Court nominee unless they had publicly acknowledged that Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided prior to their nomination. Thank you. Thank you, Josh Hawley. Amen. Finally, someone who has some some jurisprudential balls and is willing to to put his money where his mouth is and say, yeah, Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided. It's the most bigoted decision 
uh, in American history after, of course, uh, after, of course, racism and slavery. It's despicable. It treats unborn children as non-persons, just like the Democratic Party treated blacks. But conservatives have been so wary to own their pro-life position and, and their belief that Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided and that there, you can't find a constitutional right to abortion in the privacy clause. We, we've always tried to play this game of saying, I don't want to be perceived as partisan by the media, so I'm not going to ask a potential conservative nominee to the Supreme Court if he would overturn Roe. I won't ask that. Meanwhile, the left, which is basically taken over the Democratic Party, all of those legislators directly ask people how they would rule on abortion. They ask Brett Kavanaugh this. Um, they asked Neil Gorsuch this, and they're going to continue to do that. So the National Review article continues. He says, I will vote only for those Supreme Court nominees who have explicitly acknowledged that Roe v. Wade is wrongly decided, Hawley told the Washington Post, referring to the 1973 ruling that established federal protection for abortion. By explicitly acknowledged, I mean on the record and before they were nominated. I don't want private assurances from candidates. Thank you. The former law professor added, I don't want to hear about their personal views one way or another. I'm not looking for forecasts about how they may vote in the future or predications. I don't want any of that. I want to see on the record as part of their record that they have acknowledged in some form that Roe v. Wade as a legal matter is wrongly decided. And Clarence Thomas is, I'm, is the only justice I'm aware of who has publicly made those comments that Roe v. Wade was obviously wrongly decided and there's no right to pay a physician to murder your unborn human child in the Constitution. This is what we need. This is the time, type of example we need. Josh Hawley is setting a good example and hopefully what would become a new standard in the conservative movement and in the Republican Party, which is right now the, the, the only political party that serves any hope to the conservative movement, to flex that muscle to engage more viciously in the left's game. The left is playing a different game than we are, and we have been pretending to play the same game, but not engaging in the same game. We need to put our players in the game. We need to hit back and hit back harder if we want to create that type of bulwark to the left and, and then re-inculcate ourselves in the culture wars so that we don't have to set up these legislative bulwarks. We can rely on the checks and balances of individuals who are not motivated by partisanship. While the left and their abortion activist arm seeks to increase abortions through quick and dirty telemedicine abortion pills to increase profits, conservatives and pro-lifers can't be caught sleeping anymore. Yes, we need to engage heavily and vigilantly in the culture wars, yes, but we also need to play political hardball. The left doesn't hide their cards. They don't pretend to be nonpartisans. They flaunt and celebrate their pro-abortion bigotry as shamelessly and proudly as their political party once celebrated slavery. We need to be equally shameless, unapologetic, and fierce in our defense of life and opposition to the jurisprudential bigotry that is Roe versus Wade. The culture war is vital, obviously, because it is the long game that will yield the biggest rewards or the greatest defeats. And we've seen the defeats in the conservative movement because of not engaging in the culture wars. But the courts, and specifically the Supreme Court, is the short game that can either devastate the pro-life movement, if we get another Ruth Bader Ginsburg, for example, and the babies we seek to protect, or can function as a bulwark against a nasty left who views unborn children in the same way they once viewed black Americans. That bulwark has to be won by conservatives if we hope to have any opportunity of ending abortion in the near future. I hope that the fear of losing that bulwark will awaken Republicans and religious conservatives to finally enter the battlefield of culture and infect our cultural institutions with a zeal far greater than our leftist fellow citizens. We've been losing the culture wars because we've abandoned the institutions 
and the systems that create culture, which creates the water that we all swim in and that we're affected by, by setting a certain narrative about politics in the country, by painting a certain picture of human flourishing and of human rights. We need to engage in that culture war to paint a better picture, one that reflects the reality that all human beings are equal in dignity and worth. And we share that dignity and worth because of a human nature, which we had at the moment of conception, not because of our functions or capacities, which is the idea of Nazism, the idea of eugenics, to go back to the history of the abortion pill. That's what those nasty worldviews are based on, is that your value, your personhood status and your rights are based on functions and capacities. The more you have of those capacities, the stronger you are, right? Survival of the fittest, then the more rights you have. That's a disgusting, bigoted worldview that ought to be thrown into the ash heap of history. We need to infect our institutions with people who hold conservative ideals to argue for those conservative ideals in the public square so we can win the culture wars, win the political wars, and create a truly equitable society that protects the natural rights of all individuals. The abortion pill is just one tick mark in the long history of bigotry by politically motivated bigots who want to use the abortion pill to weed out those that they deem unfit to live and non-persons. For the sake of the posterity of the country, for the sake of the soul of our country, the last best hope of the world, we have to engage in those battles. We have to fight those people who want to endanger the health and lives of women and murder little children in the womb. Well, that's all we have time for for today. Thanks for joining me. Head on over to iTunes, YouTube, Spotify. Give this show a rating and review. Let us know what you think. It really helps. Please consider becoming a patron of the show. We want to reach more people with these pro-life ideas. And we, we want to change minds, change hearts, and save lives and be able to, to, uh, to truly uh, create the type of just society that we want. And we can't do that if we're not talking and we're not discussing these ideas. So consider helping become a patron of the show. If you want to learn more, you can engage with me online, follow me on social media, go to my website, sethgruber.com, and we'll see you next week. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Unaborted. <laughs>